Welcome everyone to Spinning Back Click, the weekly MMA Junkie Roundtable show where we discuss the biggest topics in the sport. I'm Mike Bond, your host for this week. MMA Junkie Radio's George and Goes have a well-deserved week off this week, but uh, still have a tremendous panel here with MMA Junkie Assistant Managing Editor Matt Wells, as well as staff reporters Danny Segura and Nolan King, nominated for Journalists of the Year this year at the World MMA Awards. And we have a, a great show coming up. Lots went on this past week. We have an off week with UFC coming up, a rare one, but uh, has not slowed the news in MMA at all. Uh, first, guys, for topic one, I want to look back at the UFC Fight Night 228 main event from this past weekend, which ended in a disappointing fashion when Rafael Fazeev suffered a knee injury in a TKO loss to Mateus Gamrot. This was supposed to be an important fight at 155 pounds, but similar to main events in recent memory, like Tom Aspinall versus Curtis Blades, Brian Ortega versus Yair Rodriguez, Calvin Cater versus Arnold Allen, ended in an injury anticlimactic fashion. Um, I guess, first of all, Nolan, uh, I want to go to you. What was your kind of reaction to the finish here? Did it feel like kind of an inconclusive fight? And I don't know, how much credit should Gamrock get for a win like this? Is it ridiculous for him to suggest that he was the one that kind of caused this a little bit with his defense? Just give me your initial reaction to what we saw on Saturday night. Yeah, it's just disappointment. I mean, I think for us hardcores, we knew what both those guys bring to the cage every time. And this was a, a maybe they don't have the name recognition of the star power or some of the other fighters in the 155 pound division. But for me, that was shaping up to be a great fight, a really high level technical fight and something to really propel uh, these guys towards the top of the division, towards the top five. So very disappointing. I think we've seen this happen, whatever, a dozen plus times in UFC history where we build up to a main event, sit through all the, you know, watch all the prelims, watch the main card, and then you get to the main event and it's like one leg kick or, or some sort of freak arm injury or whatever. We're, we're used to going through the, the motions with this one. Um, as far as like kind of what we take away or what the division takes away or what these guys gain or lose from this fight, it's a little tricky to figure out, but I think historically when you look at it, the UFC doesn't necessarily um, you know, use this the, the, the method of the injury, the method of the, the win against the fighter going forward. Like we saw, you know, Arnold Allen when it happened in the Cater fight, he got the Holloway fight. Yair Rodriguez, when Brian Ortega hurt his shoulder, he got a, a interim title fight after that. So um, I expect Gamrod to at least make a, uh, you know, some sort of mini step forward. I think he can say he won that fight. I wouldn't, again, it's, it's hard for me to say not having been in there and, and feeling, you know, not being the one feeling those shots to uh, discredit or credit him for having some, the uh, certain level of contribution to the final outcome. But for me, I, I guess the division just keeps moving forward. I think the way that, you know, this whole thing works, he was the one that went in there. He got the victory. But I will say, I, I do think for Fiziev, it softens the blow. If he were to have gone out there and gotten TKO legitimately, um, I think that that, you, you can't use those two things against, you know, you can't equate those things against him. So for me, Gamrot moves forward. I think you just got to do it that way, or at least historically they have. Fiziev, unfortunate. Hopefully he gets better soon. And uh, maybe sometime in the future, this will be enough groundwork for them to run it back. Yeah. And what about you, Danny? Do you kind of align with that side of thinking? Or, I mean, does Gamrot get full credit for a win like this? Do you have to put it in different contexts? Is there a little bit of an asterisk next to it? Uh, what do you kind of make when a main event, especially with the stakes and significance, ends like this? I would say I agree with Nolan about a 90%. I, I think he was pretty on point with everything he said. The only thing is that I, I would take a little bit more credit away from uh, Gamera in this situation because it wasn't like a, a situation where Jair Rodriguez had attempted an armbar and caused an injury or Chitoira had kicked the leg of uh, Sean O'Malley and then caused an injury. It wasn't kind of that type of fight. Literally, it was completely the, the opposite way. It was Fiziv attacking and getting injured. So um, a win's a win, right? Like it does go on his record. I do think it's, it's somewhat of a step forward, but um, I, I think it's also important to remember uh, how the injury happened, how the injury came about. As far as Fiziv, I mean, this is probably the best type of loss that you can take in the game. Maybe you can put in front of it uh, losing a controversial decision or something like that. But even then, I think this doesn't really take anything away from it. If you watch the fight, you clearly know um, we didn't get a result. We didn't get an answer here in the sense of who the better fighter is. It was very competitive until that kick until that injury so um it's kind of inconclusive but at the same time like nolan said like the division does gotta move forward 
you do gotta kind of just brush that away and, and act as if you know this was a victory for Amra because you gotta make fights. You gotta get the division going. And uh and yeah, I think this puts Gamera in a little bit of a better position. Uh, but all in all, we didn't get a, a conclusive answer as to who the better fighter is between these two. Yeah, and we'll, we'll kind of get into how they spin this forward in terms of matchmaking. But Matt, I want to ask you, like, uh, Gamrot said in his post-fight, like, you know, I was training kick defense. I knew he was going to kick me a lot. I know initially when it happened, they thought maybe he, like, kicked the elbow and broke his foot or something. But it was his, uh, the leg, that the opposite leg, not the one he kicked with that kind of buckled under him. Uh, but he, you know, celebrated like he had just won a world championship in there the, the moment after. And, uh, you know, it was kind of pleading his the case for him contributing to this i don't know is there anything to that do you think that's like an unfair perspective i know a, a lot of kind of the fans gave him backlash for maybe taking any credit for this injury happening yeah it, it's just a weird situation right but i mean you guys have already laid out a couple of examples in the past but you got to think when you have you know solid defense for these kicks and yes we know fazib is going to come in and kick and it, this was an example of his own explosiveness working against him and that's just the type of fighter that he is. He's going to blitz in with hard combinations. That's, that's what he was doing in the first round. And I was on play-by-play, -play and I scored that first round for Fazeev, right? So it's just one of those unfortunate situations where his own power hurt him, which is rare to see. But, yes, you do have to give Gamrot some credit because you look at things like Anderson Silva and Chris Weidman, right? Chris Weidman checked that leg kick. And then a few years later, Uriah Hall did the same thing to Chris Weidman. Those resulted in devastating injuries. And yes, this wasn't a leg break, but this was still a situation where Gamrot got his defense up. And as a result, the fighter throwing the technique of the kick ended up getting hurt. And like you guys have also said, it's an unfortunate ending to this. You know, Gamrot celebrating the way he did. I, I don't feel one way or the other about it, but sure, he gets a win over another, you know, highly ranked opponent and he is in a good spot, but at the end of the day, man, you, you really just kind of feel like, at least for me personally, I feel like this was all a wash at the end of the day. It was almost like this fight didn't happen. It's almost like the division is still kind of in the same place it was before Saturday. I don't know if you guys feel the same way or not, but that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, so yeah, stick with you on changed. that, Matt. Oh, go ahead, Dan. Yeah, I don't think much changed, right? Like, we still leave, we still have sort of the same um, reviews or the same way we look at both these fighters like we didn't we didn't have one guy go over the other it's it kind of just remains the same really yeah and i mean i think in a perfect world you would just run this back immediately but even sitting here monday morning uh, i know they took fazeev to the hospital like right after and said they were going to do imaging but unless i missed something we still don't have like a conclusive update on his status as we record this live here right now so we don't know if it's like a torn acl that's going to keep him out nine months to a year stuff like that so i don't imagine we're going to see this fight again right away so with that said what do you do with gamrot right because he's in a bit of a weird spot like his ufc record on paper is pretty fantastic but you look at the past three wins there's this one with the injury there's the very questionable split decision over jalen turner and then uh, his first main event where he beat armin saruki in, in a close decision that some people thought went the other way as well so uh there's the definitive loss to benil dariush in there too kind of sandwiched in between all these results so how do you deal with someone like this i mean we know top five at lightweight these fights are really hard to get with the Poriers, the Gaethje's, things like that. Uh, a lot of these guys are all trying to fight upwards and stuff. So I don't know. Gamrock called out Charles Oliveira saying he thinks he's going to lose and maybe they could fight next year, which is kind of interesting. Uh, we don't know what Oliveira's plans would be if he does lose to Islam Makachev again, but he's in a weird spot for sure. I mean, does anyone have any great ideas on how you deal with Mateus Gamrock going forward? Um, I don't have a, a great idea, but I, I will say I do like the call out of Charles Oliveira. I mean, he, you know, he snuck in a little dig at him saying, hey, you're going to lose that title fight. I'll be here waiting for you. So, I mean, I thought that was kind of funny. But at the same time, when you when you have a win like this that isn't really definitive, you can't really go out there and say, hey, I want the champ next. You know, because, again, it feels like we're still in the same spot we were before Saturday. But I do like the call out. And again, it's it's the division is just such in a weird place with what's Chandler doing. He's ranked above both of these guys. You know, is McGregor ever really coming back? We don't know what's going to happen. Is is Justin Gaethje going to get the next title shot because he beat Poirier again? Like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening in the lightweight division, and I just wish we got a more definitive, like, clear-cut answer on Saturday. Yeah. 
I think with the division, the way just divisions work in general, you get a group of guys that uh, prove themselves to be elite, which is generally the top five. Then you get them to fight each other for several years and contend for the belt. And if any outliers come in and are interesting, you throw them in there or give them a chance to enter that group. And maybe you take somebody out. Uh, but at some point after a few years, you do got to turn the page and you do got to start matching up these older names that have lingered at the top for some time that have gotten their chance against the guys outside of it, the guys from 10 to 5. And I think that's where we're at. If you look at the top lightweights right now, they're all, you know, in their mid-30s or at least getting close to it. And I think there needs to be some turning of the page. So I would like to see Gamrot get a legacy name, whether it's Poirier or whether it's Chandler, because they, them two are coming off losses. I do think that Gagey should be next in fighting for the belt, or even Oliveira if he does lose. But what I do want to see, regardless of a matchup or whatever, I want to see a legacy name is start. It's time for these guys that have been at the top for a while to stop fighting each other and give some chances to uh, the guys that are coming up, just like Gagey did against Fasiv not so long ago and proved to be elite. So you stay there, but there needs to be that, that period of, of proof. You gotta, you gotta validate your ticket in the top five once again. Yeah. And going off that, Nolan, I'm curious, like, what do you, it's kind of a weird situation with American top team, right? They have a lot of lightweights in the top 15 right now. Uh, obviously, if you just looked at it sensibly, Gamrot versus Poirier probably makes a lot of sense, but they both made it clear they don't want to fight each other. They're primary training partners down there for a lot of these big fights. But I don't know, is there like a, a fair argument to not do a fight like that when they just sit there being like, eh, we'll do it, but only for a title? Yeah, I guess it depends on what kind of relationship that those guys have. I mean, we saw recently, right, with Ian Gary and Vicente Luque getting booked against each other. Like, maybe there are some of these bigger gyms the guys would be a little bit more open to it. Granted, you know, I don't know how much Poirier and, and Gamrot work together. But the more I think about it, the more I actually do. If, if Gamrot wants to fight up, I mean, there's plenty of guys that he can kind of take a sidestep and fight. There's, you know, Dan Hooker. Uh, there's, uh, you know, they, they him and Turner just fought. The, the whole division's in a weird spot, but... Um, I do like the, the Oliveira matchup just because if he's trying to fight forward, I think that's the only, that's kind of one step ahead per se, like things, the chips have to fall. But I think if he wants to fight up, he's going to have to wait for things to materialize. I mean, we got Dariush and, uh, and, and, um, Sarukian maybe going to fight. You got Chandler sitting around, you got Poirier, which I think would be the fight that would make the most sense, but, uh, definitely a weird spot. Hopefully over the next couple of months, when some of these fights start happening, hopefully, uh, that we get some clarity here because it is it is very very strange times, especially like Danny said, it's, it's hard for somebody to uh, to break into those the, that that upper echelon when because of the star power. You know, does Dustin Poirier want another big name? Does Michael Chandler? Obviously, he's getting told. You know, imagine him going from hey, you're going to fight Conor McGregor to now you get to fight Gamrot. Like, there's just a lot of there's not a lot of incentive for those sort of guys to take the fights backwards. You got to make that incentive, and so. Unfortunately for Gamrot, he might have to fight somebody that's in that 10 to 15 range again um, just to, to kind of suck one of these other guys in or, or have the division figure itself out at the top. Yeah, he probably ends up fighting the winner of like Grant Dawson and Bobby Green or something. But Grant Dawson, yeah. another ATT guy. So who knows? But uh, interesting times for Gamrot. He's obviously doesn't have like the flashiest style in the world either. So it's not like they're rushing to, you know, put him in these marquee fights as well. But we will see what happens. But let's move on, guys. Um, of course, if you're watching, feel free to drop any comments, questions in the chat. We will get to them if we can pick some of the best ones there. And then also make sure to uh, like and subscribe to the MMA Junkie YouTube channel we have tons of content always these guys myself farah hanoon mma junkie radio always putting out good stuff not a day goes by pretty much without a new video so uh on to topic number two guys ufc fight booking bonanza this past week was absolutely nuts with the fight announcements and off the top uh dana white confirming three new title fights uh, some of them expected most of them expected but we now pretty much have an entire look of what the 2023 schedule will look like in terms of championship fights on the books. Uh, the first one kind of coming up time-wise, Yuri Prohoshka and Alex Pereira for the vacant light heavyweight title at UFC 295 on November 11th, the 30th anniversary card. And then Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington, finally official UFC 296 main event, December 16th in Las Vegas, and the co-headliner for that, a flyweight championship fight between Alexandre Pantoja and Brandon Roy Val. 
These are uh, some big time fights. I think probably the most logical ones that out there, the ones that are probably the most deserving for all the contenders that have done their work, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I guess let's just go around the horn a little bit and say out of these announced fights, uh, which one grabs your attention the most and which one is most exciting? Danny, let's start with you. I'm going to go with Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington. And I think action-wise, this might not be the most exciting fight out of all those three. I think it probably will lean towards being the the less exciting one, um, if I'm being honest. But it's still going to be a good fight. But I really like it because it's finally moving the welterweight division forward. This fight has been expected for months. I mean, it's just been... I haven't seen... Apart maybe from John Jones, but even then you could make the case that, you know, he was kind of semi-retired, so it's different. But I haven't seen two active fighters that a fight has been teased uh, and then, you know, it just doesn't materialize or it just takes such a long time to for it to happen. Um, and the welterweight division is looking quite good and there's a lot of young up-and-coming talent. So it's time to move the division forward. And finally, we're getting this fight. I mean, we've been waiting for it for far too long. Uh, and first of all, you know, I, as you guys probably know in previous comments that I've made, I don't think Covington was a deserving guy here. So at the very least, make that fight quick just so we can, you know, get things going. But it hasn't until now. So we finally get this fight. Um, I like it because it's moving the division forward, as I said. I also like it because I want to see what Leon Edwards looks like. I think he's kind of turning the corner and I think he could be something great at welterweight right now. He's just seen as a champion, but I think uh, in due time, he could be somebody that we could be talking about, you know, one of the greatest welterweights of all time, maybe not the greatest that that's still George St. Pierre, but I can definitely see him surpassing Tyron Woodley. I can definitely see him maybe even getting close to what Kamaru Usman did in that division. He's looking quite good. And as far as Covington, I also think that angle is super interesting. He is, uh, I believe like 34, 35. So he's getting up there in age. You must assume that this might be his last chance and you don't really know where he's at in his career. He also hasn't fought in a while and I don't really think the fight with Masvidal was also very telling of his, on his skill. So I'm curious to see how he looks like um, all around just a very fascinating, intriguing matchup. So I'm going to pick that one. Uh, you're muted, Mike. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Uh, that's a that's a great choice, Danny. Definitely want to circle back on some of that. But uh, Matt, what about you? Which one are you liking out of this threesome? So in topic one, we talked about the lightweight division needing to move forward. Danny just talked about the welterweight division needing to move forward. I'm going to go with the flyweight division. For the first time since 2018, we're getting a fight between two fighters not named Davidson Figueiredo or Brandon Moreno. So this is a, a whole fresh matchup for this title, which is really exciting for me. We talk about all the time how the flyweight division, you know, consistently puts puts on some of the most exciting fights. And now we get two fresh names in, in a title fight, which is something that we haven't seen in years. So it's really exciting. And yes, the Davidson Figueiredo and Brandon Moreno saga was very important for the division because it gave, you know, more casual fans a sense of familiar familiarity with those fighters. But now, you know, now that that that. That whole saga is behind us. You know, they've had their, their quadrilogy and everything like that. It's time to move on to some of these other names. And these are exciting fighters, guys. I mean, if you haven't really paid attention to what Brandon Royval has been doing, you haven't been paying attention to what Alexander Pantoja has been doing. These guys are on nice winning streaks. They get finishes. They go out there and, and fight their ass off. They're not they're not boring fighters. This fight's going to be really exciting. Um, it may very well still fight of the night if it, you know, if the main event doesn't do it at UFC 296. So, I'm really excited for this matchup. Yes, these are all great fights that have been announced, but this one, for the reasons, like I said, it's a fresh matchup in that division, which is something we haven't seen in years. This is my pick. And Nolan, your thoughts? They left a, a pretty juicy one out <clears throat> for you to break down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Matt's right. I think Roy Val versus Pantoja does not get enough credit, especially being announced with these other two. But fight that I don't think can get too much credit is uh, Yuri Proyatska versus Alex Pereira. I think this is a fight that should be praised up and down. I think it is kind of the perfect storm of everything that we enjoy as an MMA fan, uh, whether it be high-level fighting, whether it be big knockouts and striking, and just kind of that extra little sprinkle of, of absolute mayhem that I expect to come out of this fight. Um, the craziness, kind of the car crash that we all love to watch, whether it's a uh, you know, and it, whether it's a low-level fight or a high-level fight, if two guys go in there and brawl and some madness occurs, I mean, that's where our excitement stems from. So the fact that Danny talked about the welterweight division getting that moving again, 
it's nice to get light heavyweight moving again after Jamal Hill vacated his title. So for me, this is just a no-brainer. Um, quite the supporting act for, for UFC 295, John Jones versus Stipe Miocic. I was kind of thinking perhaps the UFC was just going to put all its eggs in one basket when we looked at that card maybe a week ago and we saw, you know, the next fight down was Jessica Andrade and, uh, and Mackenzie Dern. So I'm glad that the UFC went with uh, another title fight. I'm surprised that it was this one because I think this one's kind of one that could probably headline on its own as well. Um, just a violent, fun fight, great supporting act, and at our big, big stage, big show like Madison Square Garden. Uh, yeah, the UFC is on fire right now, booking these fights, and, and all three were great. But this one, to me, just just speaks to my my soul as a fight fan. Yeah, I guess it's the tiebreaker here for me. I'll definitely side with Nolan there. I think Prohajka and Pereira is an incredible fight. I mean, these two guys really don't have any ties to the John Jones era of the light heavyweight division. Neither of them could say a word between now and November 11th. And I think we're all going to be absolutely thrilled for this because their fighting speaks for itself. It's going to be absolutely bonkers when they go in there. So I really can't wait for that fight. But kind of sticking with that and you, Nolan, you mentioned there a little bit like this is the UFC's 30th anniversary card right like this is what we've been building towards with all this 30 year stuff since january uh john jones having him on there against stipe i think that kind of speaks for itself for the magnitude of this event uh, i think probably part of the reason why they were able to do this fight with prohashka and Pereira is because there's no pay-per-view points attached to it because it's a vacant title so it makes sense but as you look at it now um i mean it's not that far it's what seven weeks away this card are you liking this as a 30th anniversary event? I'm sure there'll be more big fights added, but as you see it right now, like you think this is fitting for the moment, for the celebration of what we're kind of looking towards through this third year of the UFC? Yeah, it's tough, man, because, you know, you look at it right now, Topology has 10 fights listed. So it's like, all right, you're probably getting three or four more fights in there. Where are those three or four more fights going to place, right? They're all kind of contender fights that will be, you know, main card, top of the prelims. Then we're looking at a really stacked card. If they're all fights that are going to be slapped on the bottom of what we already have, then that's a different conversation. So for me, I think you kind of need that, that next supporting act. I know, you know, Andrade and Dern, those are contenders, but I don't think it necessarily has that like feel of, of making the card feel really deep. Um, we got Matt Frivola versus Benoit Saint-Denis recently. That's a fantastic fight. I think that's a car crash as well. Um, so I, I like that. Those sort of fights where you can look up and down the card and say, ooh, this fight's, you know, the sixth of the night and I can't wait because it's a banger. You need those sort of fights, but you also need kind of that the connecting bridge between, you know, oh, this is a great fun prelim and oh, like this is a fight that really matters in this division. So um, we'll see what happens, whether it's, uh, you know, I don't know what other kind of fight, who's kind of available. I mean, we mentioned Dustin Poirier earlier. You got, uh, you know, the one, the other one that came, comes to my mind is Aaron Blanchfield and Manon Firo. Like Blanchfield's kind of got the New York tie-in. I think that the timing of that might add up. So like you said, it's coming, we're coming up on it here. So we hopefully we'll get some clarity, but you would like to see them add a few more fighters with, with some stakes and some, uh, some rankings next to their name to kind of really bridge that gap between two fantastic title fights and just kind of fights. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Danny? Do you, do you think this is kind of enough meat on the bone so far? Do the two title fights do the trick enough or do you need some more here for a 30th anniversary show? I agree with Nolan. I think that um, that it, it could pro like in previous times. I mean, compare that uh, that uh, uh, great MSG show that we got with the three title fights and Conor and Eddie Alvarez headlining. Like it doesn't compare to that, right? Um, but we are in a different era. We are in an era where there's pretty much UFC fights every weekend, and it's hard to have stars to spread out through all those cards to make it worthwhile for a fan to you know take out a good chunk of their Saturday night to sit down and, and watch the fight. Uh, so I think under the circumstances that we're in of this era where there's oversaturation, where there's just way too many events, I think this is probably the best you can get. Um, I do want to remind people, and, and Nolan did a, a good job at giving some shouts here to some uh, fights uh, outside of the main and co-main, but there are some other sneaky good fights that I would like to highlight. Matt Chanel versus... Steve Erseg, I mean, that fight's great. Uh, Chanel gives you insane bouts all the time. Uh, Jared Gordon versus Mark Madsen, I think that's very interesting as well. Pat Sabatini versus Diego Lopez, that's going to be a crazy-ass fight. So there are some sneaky good fights here. So maybe name value is not what we expect for a 30-year anniversary, but I do believe action-wise, we're going to get a good night of fights with UFC 295. Yeah, going to be interesting. I have faith they'll put at least one more big fight on there, and I think they can should. I, can Take I say it. something else, Mike, if you don't yeah. mind? Yeah, go ahead. 
I hate to put this uh, out on the universe, but what do you think are the odds for the winner of the Coleman event to get injured and vacate the title? Oh, God. Hopefully 0%. (laughs) In this state of this division, I think anything is possible at this point. It's going to be wild. It's going to be interesting having them kind of put this as a parallel next to John Jones. I wonder if he's going to take any little shots throughout fight week at these two guys and saying, hey, just a reminder, that's my belt. Jupiter Traska climbs mountains and uh, Poatan does a lot of risky stuff as well. Not not wishing any ill upon anybody, but um, I think uh, those odds might be live. Who knows? Yeah, and you look in the comments. I think a lot of people are excited for this one. Oatmeal26 saying Yuri versus Alex, the best one, no question. The reality filter, Yuri versus Alex is a real banger. There's a lot of excitement there. Uh, Oatmeal26 again says, I can't believe UFC didn't put Colby at MSG. Uh, I think it might have to do a little bit with what maybe Colby said in his relationship with John Jones, but also the fact UFC not wanting to spread pay-per-view points around for two fights. But uh, I do want to circle back to Leon versus Colby. And uh, with you, Matt, something that Danny actually said when he was speaking a little bit to this, is this Colby Covington's last chance at a UFC title? I mean, a lot of people, I don't want to get into, like, did he deserve it? Does he not? We're past that. The fight's happening. It's a couple months away. There's no going back on this. But Colby Covington lost twice to Kamaru Usman. Close fights in some respects, uh, especially the second one that went to a decision. But he's been out for a long time. As Danny mentioned, he's aging a bit. Uh, questions of whether he deserved this or not, probably hard for the schedule he keeps up to shoehorn him into another title fight if he wins this one. So I don't know. What do you think? Is this Colby's last chance at UFC gold? I mean, if he keeps up the schedule of fighting, then yes, I would think so. I mean, his last fight was, you know, March 2022. And it's, you know, I mean, it's hard to really justify him getting this title shot even because of the activity. But here we are. It's it's set and it's going to happen. And I'm glad that you know, at least we have a title fight in that division. But to answer your question, I think as long as he sticks with this lack of activity, rather, then, yeah, it's going to be his last shot at gold. And, I mean, it's a very tough fight for him. If he wins, I mean, he's probably, I don't know who he's, if it's going to, they're probably not going to run it back with Leon if he does win. Probably going to find another matchup for him. But what does a championship reign with Colby Covington look like is my question. Because does he sit around and take one fight a year? Um, I mean, I can imagine what, you know, his interviews and stuff are going to look like. Obviously, I think we can all imagine that. But I'm more concerned about how often does he step into the octagon and put that belt on the line? Because if he does it once a year, it's going to be a very boring reign, however long it ends up ends up lasting. But I mean, it's, it's just all it all comes down to activity for me. You know, if he goes out there and loses and then returns, depending on how he loses. Right. If it's a close fight and if it's a it's a, you know, a close decision and he ends up losing and there's no injuries or anything like that and he comes back in another four months and gets another win over a top name, then, yeah, he can make another run at, at gold. But if he loses and disappears and comes back next year or another, you know, 21 months from now, uh, yeah, you got you to gotta say, like, this is your last shot, dude. Yeah, and uh, before we wrap up here, I think something you said there about kind of what the Colby Covington title reign could look like transitions into a question from Night Owl there. Uh, Colby winning sets up the Islam-Makachev fight. Who doesn't want to see that? Nolan, um, we've already hear- heard this from Colby Covington. It's not Bilal Muhammad. It's not Shavkat Rachmanov. It's not any of these uh, actual welterweight contenders on the rise. He wants to fight Islam Makachev, a lightweight, give him that champ-champ opportunity if they both win their next fights. I mean, is this does this turn you off a little bit? Is this a fight you want to see, or is this just like something that you expect out of Colby Covington? He is going to try to look for these type of fights rather than fighting like Bilal Muhammad, who I think we can all agree deserves the next title shot based on merit. Yeah, it's going to be a struggle, I think, with those with, with that going forward, especially if Colby wins. But I think kind of why I'm being sucked into the idea of uh, the Colby versus Leon fight right now is because I don't think it's out of the question that Colby wins. So I think that this is – I think it's a close fight on paper. So we could very well be entering 2024 with a trifecta of a Colby Covington, Sean O'Malley, and Sean Strickland championship, just as everybody predicted, you know, coming into this year. So – very crazy times at the UFC. Um, this would certainly add to the mayhem. I mean, a fight, him and Islam, a fight would be very interesting to me. But I think that's this division, because of his inactivity or whatever, whoever's inactivity, why this fight wasn't booked sooner. Because of that, we're sitting looking at these budding contenders that are that are ready to go. And 
I think you need to, in order to, to, to kind of have any sort of sanity in a division, you need at some point, you can only push off somebody that's deserved it so far. And especially somebody that the UFC has indicated will be next. Um, so for me, yeah, it's going to be a struggle. I'm sure we're going to hear all sorts of call-outs for fights that will never, ever, ever happen. Um, but hopefully, you know, at least his first title defense can be kind of returning some movement into the division and, and taking out a, or taking on a top contender. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. And just wait till Bryce Mitchell joins that crop of UFC champions we made. It's going to be great times. But uh, anyways, let's move on. Topic three, guys. Uh, sticking with a similar theme here as far as fight announcements. Lots of big non-title ones made. Uh, official by UFC president or UFC CEO, I should say, rather, Dana White. Uh, specifically for UFC 296, December 16th, we got Stephen Thompson versus Shavkat Rachmanov. We got Vicente Luque versus Ian Machado Gary. But I think the fight that stirred up the most discussion, guys, was Tony Ferguson versus Patty Pimblett. Uh, this one came out of left field for a lot of people there. Uh, the reactions were all over the place from fighters, from fans, from media. I had a, more than one fighter kind of respond to the Instagram story I shared of this fight being like, poor Tony, man. So I think the sentiment is for a lot of people, Ferguson on a six-fight losing skid and gets thrown in there with Patty Pimblett. Um, I don't know, Matt, you start us off. What was your initial reaction to this booking? Were you surprised this fight was made? I mean, it, on paper, it looks like like we still kind of think of like Tony Ferguson. At least I do. I still think of Tony Ferguson as one of those top dogs in the division. I mean, yes, he's on that skid. We know he's on the way out. But when you see him on paper against a guy like Patty Pimblett, it just doesn't feel right to me. I don't know. It just seems like a. at the same time, it feels like it's too big of a jump for Patty. But at the same time, you consider his skid and it's like, OK, it does kind of make sense, right? Because the UFC does want Patty to get a win over a big name, and this is how you do it. But at the same time, do you want Tony Ferguson to go out like this? I don't know. Uh, it's it's a tough spot for both fighters to really be in because Patty has been this guy that the UFC has been trying to prop up as one of the next big cash cows of the division. So you have to, at some point, fight a former champion or a former interim champion, rather. Tony Ferguson, you know, for his latest, latest skid, it, it makes sense to have this fight happen. I don't know what it ends up looking like, but the matchmaking, it just doesn't feel right because you don't want to see Tony Ferguson go out against another guy that's that's coming up. They're, they're essentially using his name to build up Patty Pimblett. And if it ends up happening that way, it's going to suck for Tony. But if you are the UFC and you want to build up Patty Pimblett, this is how you do it. What do you think, Danny? I mean, you're not uh, ignorant to how the UFC match makes and how the fight games work. You know, the the young dog eats the old dog, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Love this matchup? Hate it? What do you think? I like it. I like it, and I'm actually surprised uh, about the backlash that this fight announcement got. This is what should have been happening years ago. Tony Ferguson shouldn't have been fighting a guy like Michael Chandler shouldn't have been fighting someone like Charles Oliveira, Benio Darius. He clearly was in need of a tune-up fight. He needed a fight like the one against Bobby Green, like the one, this one that we're getting against Patty Pimblett. These are the fights that he should have been in in order to sort of revive his career. But nope, they sent them back out there and uh, he just went, you know, against killer after killer. And, you know, now he's in this crazy ass losing streak. Probably one of the worst that we've seen uh, active, at least in the UFC. Um, so I'm actually, I would like to see Tony retired to be honest. And this is one of my favorite fighters. So it's like hard to say, but I, I do think it's time, but if you're going to continue fighting, please at least don't fight any ranked fighters. Please at least don't fight any killers. In this case, all respect to Patty Pimblett, who, um, you know, has done a great job at marketing himself and certainly a skilled fighter. I mean, cage warriors champion. And now he's in the UFC, but I, I think we can all agree. He's not up to the level of a, Charles Oliveira of Benio Darius of a Michael Chandler, at least not yet. And most of it, he's a threat on the grappling department. He's not really a, a knockout artist, although he does have some knockouts to his name, uh, but he's not really a, a crazy power puncher. So I think considering all the scenarios, uh, I think this is probably the best one for Tony Ferguson because you are getting a, a vast step down in competition, but not in name value. So he's still being respected in the sense that he's getting a high profile fight, right? I would have hated to see him against, you know, somebody fresh O&O in the UFC that we do not know of. And it's like, really, that's how Tony Ferguson is going to end his career, like in the prelims or whatever. And we've seen, you know, great fighters do that. 
Um, in this case, he's getting still a high-profile fight and a step down in competition, as he should with Patty Pimblett. Uh, Nolan, the reality filter says, pray to the MMA gods for one last win for Tony. Uh, if he does not get this win, though, I don't know. Is this do or die, in your opinion? Like, if he loses to Patty Pimblett, who is not... Uh, the same, even like Bobby Green, who has some ranked wins and is you know, out there fighting in main events against Grant Dawson, who's legit, uh, is losing this fight to a Patty Pimblett like a different level of defeat? Does that put his his losing skid and where he's at in his career in a different context that this fight doesn't go his way, especially definitively? Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, I, I, we'd have to see how the fight plays out for me to really fully contextualize it. But I think just the the... Losing skid, I think some of the language that Dana White's used that he typically uses towards fighters that he kind of pushes towards retirement or that we don't see again, we've kind of heard that language with him talking about Tony. So, um, I, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to say until I see it play out. But I think just like Danny said, adding another loss to this skid, regardless of who you are, I mean, you got to start thinking about that. Um, but I will say, what a random, random fight booking. And it's taken me a while to kind of wrap my head around it. Obviously, there's the the optics that everybody's talked about here where one guy's, you know, on a, on the rise and the other guy's clearly skidding. I don't think, you know, there's any, there's no way around that that's what's going on here, but in terms of actual skills and abilities, like I, I don't, I think this is kind of the right next step for Patty in the division. I think this is when you place Tony, however good he actually is in the division, this probably the, even the version that we're getting now might be the the toughest challenge that Patty's had. So um, maybe that's me kind of doubting Patty at times. I haven't been as high on his abilities as other people have. Maybe it's me kind of, um, putting Tony, the, the, the Tony of old, the Tony of peak kind of having that still back in my brain that I'm giving him too much credit. But for me as a fan, I think this fight just sucks you in. It's very intriguing. Um, I see arguments for it. I see arguments against it. Uh, but I definitely think one thing's for sure, which is if Tony Ferguson goes out there and beats Patty Pimblett in the final fight uh, fight card of, of 2023 for the UFC, the MMA world is going to explode. Um, I think there's a lot of people that root for Tony so hard just because of everything he's been through and, and the, the fact that he had that great run, never really got that Habib fight, never was was undisputed champion. So I think if he were to go out there and win, like there's, there's just a lot of people behind him pushing for him to win this fight. Um, the Patty detractors can jump on the train as well. Uh, but interesting, interesting booking by the UFC, um, mixed feelings on it for me, but I'm definitely kind of hooked. I'm hooked to watch it, which I guess is the whole point, right? Yeah. And I guess for whoever wants to take this last thing, I mean, I know Patty Pimblett's kind of public stock is maybe at an all time low with the way the Jared Gordon fight went, the way he handled it. He's come around a little bit and saying that that fight was, you know, closer than he originally reacted to in the immediate aftermath, but what if Patty Pimblett loses to Tony Ferguson on the six-fight losing skid? What happens to him then? Anyone want to take that? I mean, he's still a guy with a big following. I think he's still going to be a, a guy that you put on any card and people are going to be talking about him. People are going to be interested to watch. And he's also fairly young. How, how old is he? How old is Patty, right? He's 28, 28. right? So, you know, it's not, it's not a career-ending uh, loss. I, I still think that um, he would be able to recuperate from that and even still have high expectations to get into the rankings and, and whatnot. Um, but certainly it would bring down the expectations because there is, I believe, a group of people out there that are, are necessarily not too focused on the technical aspect of MMA, which is quite important, and maybe just mediatically who, who causes the most buzz and they think, well, this guy's bound to be a champion. Look how famous he is. Um, I think those expectations would obviously uh, dwindle away. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that's enough on that one. We'll have a couple months to look more into this matchup as time gets closer. But we move on to topic four. And this revolves around Israel Adesanya, the former UFC middleweight champion who finally broke his silence in regard to his 293 title loss to Sean Strickland in an interview on his YouTube channel. Uh, we were going to kind of talk about that in depth. But Sunday night, another layer to Adesanya's story comes out when the New Zealand Herald reports that he had just pled guilty to a drink driving charge uh, stemming from being pulled over on August 19th, which was just 18 days before his UFC 93, 293 rather fight with Strickland. Uh, Adesanya was driving with 87 milligrams of alcohol per 100 milliliters of blood 
per his team. The legal limit in New Zealand is 50 milligrams. Uh, Adesanya released a statement shortly after this news came out saying, I want to apologize to the community, my family, and my team for the decision I made to get behind the wheel after drinking at a dinner. I am disappointed with my decision to drive. It was wrong. I know that people might follow me and I want, and I don't want them to think this behavior is acceptable. Uh, the maximum penalty for a drunk driving charge in New Zealand is three months of jail time or a $2,680 fine, according to the New Zealand Herald. So, uh, Nolan, let's go to you first. I know there's a lot of layers to this now with this involved. We were kind of just going to try to put the loss to Strickland in context, given Adesanya's comments in the interview. But this adds a whole other layer. Was he in the right mindset? You know, what kind of led to these decisions, all these different things. Does this make you look at the loss differently to Strickland, this whole drunk driving incident uh, on top of what he said in the interview on his YouTube channel? Man, it's uh, maybe, uh, you know, I'm not one to judge people. It's, it's kind of hard for us to know unless there's a pattern of behavior that uh, things have gone wrong for somebody. Um, I do appreciate the comments that he had. I mean, he himself said this was wrong behavior. It's not something you ever want to hear about a professional athlete, especially in, you know, we don't have seasons in MMA, but this was a, uh, you know, mid season going into the playoffs sort of decision by him. Uh, so the timing's obviously not great there. I think at this day and age of Ubers or, you know, I'm not sure uh, if they have Ubers in New Zealand or something similar cabs and stuff guy with that much money, you'd think would be able to make sure that those sort of decisions, uh, you know, don't, he doesn't have to make those sort of decisions. So, I guess it's just disappointing all around. Um, it's something to consider, I think, when you think about the loss. Like, you know, was he making, if he was making bad decisions like that so close to a fight, you know, were there other decisions that were made that were bad as well that were not to that, not in a legal level, but, you know, were things not going properly for him as a whole at that point in time, whether it was training, whether it was focus, whether it was whatever. So I think it's certainly um, not something that you want to see by any means. Uh, I think his statement yesterday, he did handle it pretty professionally well there. Um, and again, it's about pattern of behavior. I'm willing to, people make mistakes, people, uh, you know, for whatever reason. Um, is he, to my knowledge, I don't think has any legal history besides the the weird uh, brass knuckles incident from the, the MSG card last year that at least we know of. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, he learns from this and, and it's not a pattern of behavior and, and we can kind of... Uh, when his legacy, when his story's all written, we don't have the rap sheet that we've had with some of the other fighters that have started to kind of have one thing happen and then the next and the next and the next. And before you know it, they have a whole list of laundry list of uh, kind of issues that they've had legally throughout their career. So fingers crossed. I've always appreciated how Izzy carries himself, uh, even sometimes when he doesn't necessarily uh, lean into the interviews or lean into the media, like we saw the last time around where he didn't speak, which I thought was maybe a little bit strange as well. Like even when he's been combative with the media, he's been willing to sit there and kind of have that conversation. I haven't agreed with every thought, but he's presented them. So I'm not really sure what was going on with him. Maybe we'll hear more from him going forward, but ultimately something that you don't want to hear a UFC champion did three weeks, whatever, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks before their fight. Yeah, it's interesting because, and this is me kind of giving more my opinion than like reporting anything, but, um, you know, this happens a, a few weeks out. Like if you compare it to maybe like the legal limits in the U.S. and some of these states, like it's just a, a hair over. It's not like he was, uh, you know, like massively double two, three times the limit, all that stuff. Uh, it seems like he just went through like a checkpoint. As far as I know, you know, he's driving around in this very nice like Ferrari, Lamborghini, whatever you've seen on like his social media um, this is complete speculation, but I know even dating back to COVID and how those fighters at City Kickboxing were kind of treated by the government in New Zealand. I don't know if there's maybe a little extra target on some of these guys' backs, especially someone like Izzy. I have no idea. That's just speculation on my behalf. But uh, Danny, I mean, just to hear like a story like this come out 18 days before the fight, is it a red flag for you? Um, even just the fact that he's like out socializing, drinking in a situation like this, whether it's you know, two beers or something more significant. Is that like a red flag for you of where maybe Adesanya's mind was at going into the fight with Strickland? Again, I, I kind of have to side with Nolan here. It's it's hard to tell because maybe he was kind of doing this all along, just drinking a little bit and fighting and defending belts and winning belts. Uh, we don't know, right? Like we, for example, know John Jones' track record that uh, he's been able to sort of uh, achieve great heights while also, you know, 
doing uh, uh, extracurricular activities, right? So it, it, it's hard to tell, but certainly I think on an ideal scenario, you wouldn't recommend anyone be out drinking and late at night, especially when you got training and stuff like that, two, three weeks out from a title fight. So um, it's certain, and given that this was one of his worst performances, if not his worst championship performance uh, in the UFC. So um, it, it is a bit concerning. Um, you wonder where his mind is at or was at when he fought Sean Strickland. He also had that movie premiere, um, I believe, on Fight Week or the fight week or the week before. So you kind of start adding all these things, and then you wonder if maybe just the fame got a little bit, you know, to, to his head, and also, like, how seriously was he taking Strickland? Did he think that, oh, as long as I'm in shape and um, I go in there, you know, with a relatively decent camp, I'm going to breeze through this guy since on paper he wasn't the most threatening guy. So um, it, it is certainly a, a bit concerning on, on that aspect where his mind was at then, but I don't think it's indicative of a path that he's heading, at least I, I don't hope. Um, as Nolan said, he doesn't really have any previous uh, record of, you know, misbehaving or, or getting in trouble with the law. He's fairly been a, a clean champion on that end. So um, we'll see. We'll see how he uh, how he bounces back and, and if he gets into any more of these type of issues. I hope not, obviously, for his sake and the sake of others. You should never drink and drive, especially if you got that kind of money and, and you're able you have more options. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, certainly uh, it, it does make you question where his mind was at for that Strickland fight. Matt, anything to add kind of before we get into the, the interview side of it and things that he said, just given this situation, how it, it ties in. If he had won the fight and the story came out, I think uh, people would maybe be celebrating him or being like, you know, like how badass he is. Like when John Jones kind of you know said he was doing cocaine a couple of days before beating Daniel Cormier, that type of stuff. But your just thoughts on this, if you have anything to add. Yeah, I was going to bring up the, the Cormier and John Jones thing, you know, when he did that dig at the press conference. But um, it's it's one of those things where you look back on it now and things kind of make more sense. But at the same time, you don't really want to pass too much judgment on Izzy because like like the guys have said already, like we don't know if he's always done this. Like if it was just like a, a dinner with the team, like was described in the report and, you know, they were just having a couple of drinks at dinner. Like we don't know if that's something that they always do. Um you know, that is a, a fairly common thing. If you go out anywhere in any given restaurant and any given night, people are going to be consuming alcohol to various degrees. Um, it didn't seem like this was anything like overly egregious. It was over the, the legal limit and he definitely should not have been behind the wheel. I don't want to minimize that whatsoever. Um, with if, you, if you're drinking and driving, like, no, like you're absolutely in the wrong. And I'm glad that he admitted to that. But listen, um, it's hard to pass judgment on Izzy for this thing right now, because we don't know. There's a lot of things that we don't know. Um, his mentality obviously is something that we do have to question right now, because I'm sure we're about to get into it with the video thing. You know, he did mention that one of his coaches said that he noticed a shift in in his mentality when the opponent change came about from Drakus to Sean Strickland. So I don't know if that is what played into this thing where he's like, oh, I can probably have a couple of drinks because it's Sean Strickland now. I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much about it. But at the end of the day, it's not a good look for Izzy. I'm glad he owned up to it. Hopefully, like Danny said, it's not a, the beginning of a troubling pattern for him. Yeah. And uh, Danny, I know you were the one who wrote up that Izzy interview that he dropped on his YouTube channel for MMA Junkies. So uh, after watching that back and you know writing up the stories and stuff, what was kind of your biggest takeaway? Uh, he finally spoke on the fight, maybe you could tell the interview is kind of heavily edited and you know that's the right he has with his own YouTube channel. He can control the narrative a bit. But when you looked at that, did you take away like good signs, bad signs? What did you think of the interview? You know, uh, this is so difficult. Uh, just by the way, I, I wish I would have mentioned this to you guys, at least on our Slack. But I, I knew this was going to happen. I knew that he was going to go out there or maybe not. Don't give a, uh, an interview to the media and just say, wait till something drops on my YouTube channel. Obviously, there. I mean, why would any athlete at this point do that kind of thing, right? Like you can just do it on your own YouTube channel and uh, boost your subscribers and, and, and views and whatnot and followers and be able to monetize that. So um, it's an unfortunate uh, thing that's happening because I do believe that there were certain questions that needed to be asked that obviously were not because it's under his YouTube channel. And uh, the person that's interviewing him probably even previewed him before. Uh, of uh, as far as like what questions were going to be made and whatnot. So once something's that edited and that controlled, it's hard to take away 
it, things from it because you you don't really know under what light or what angle were they trying to do things. Um, I don't want to call it exactly PR because he did give us some information, right? But it's certainly uh, much more controlled. I would have liked sort of an independent uh, person be doing the the questioning on on that end. Um, but he he didn't seem too concerned with the loss. He seemed pretty uh comfortable he didn't really see we see some fighters lose their belt and we just see a fire in them like i need to get this back all right like valentina shoshenko leading up to that alexa grasso rematch where she said there's no resting until i get that belt i have no choice but to show no mercy right like you see a certain degree of urgency of fire i didn't really see that with this road maybe he's just ultra confident that he's just bound to gain the belt back that maybe that version that he showed at UFC 293, he knows it was subpar and he knows if he takes things seriously, maybe he will take the belt away from Sean Strickland. And given that he's the most popular name in the division, you best bet that he's going to get pretty good opportunities to get that belt back. So um, it, it's 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 hard to tell exactly, but um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to form an opinion when, when a message like that is, is highly edited and uh thought through before it's released to the public right so uh it's it's hard to tell and, and, and engage exactly where israel to sign his mindset's at for sure and nolan what was your read on this interview i mean he didn't specifically state the next move uh the i guess the closest thing you could kind of take away as far as like a rematch he said him and his team are quietly confident he used that quote multiple times but he didn't say you know sean you're next you're waiting for me. We'll fight when I'm ready, blah, blah, blah. He made no definitive statements as far as his future. So I guess what was your your read on the interview and just the, the little nuggets he did drop in there as far as the future? Yeah, I think the way, when I kind of said the thing earlier about, you know, I, I felt like things have been different this time around with his loss. Like, I guess really that's what it boils down to is I feel like I can't really get a read, right? Like Dana White couldn't even get a read um, on fight night. So it's been a bit strange, a bit confusing. I, I think he's, like Danny kind of alluded to, Israel's kind of uh, emotionless to a certain degree about the whole thing. Like he's taking a very objective approach, which I appreciate. But I also wonder too, like being able to do that so quickly after a fight makes me wonder if maybe uh, there there are some things, some aspects of this that are being overlooked or or he's not really, ha- you know, I don't know. He's It's, it's just, a, it's, it's a weird... It's been a weird road for Israel Adesanya in terms of what we've seen since the loss um, between the, the press conference, between the video he's put out, um, you know, especially where, where Dana White seemed to lean into the rematch a bit. You would think Izzy would kind of ride that wave a, a little bit more um, unless he's got something in his back pocket if he's thinking about moving up or something again. Um, I don't know, man. It's It's been strange. It's been hard for me to, to kind of read. But the, the thing that does give me confidence is we have seen Israel Adesanya lose his title have people doubt him and come back and make a big statement. So um, I, I kind of, if history, I, I, I like to think history does repeat itself in MMA at times, um, especially when it comes to to some sort of uh, some some sort of mental hurdles like that that other fighters really struggle with. They already see that somebody has overcome those things, makes me confident in their abilities. So I do believe he'll be back. I, I think that um, I, I appreciate that he's not too emotional in a weird way, but I also it also does concern me that it makes me think that maybe he is emotional and he's not showing it. Right. And uh, let's close this out with you, Matt. Um, you know, Blades in the chat here says, Drickish should be fighting for the title next. Given Izzy's comments, given this incident, you know, this legal issue, what do they do next at middleweight? Should Sean Strickland hold out for a rematch, knowing that that's probably the highest selling pay-per-view now that he's the champion, now that he gets points? Or do you move on, keep busy, as we know Sean Strickland likes to do, and fight Drickus Duplessis, especially knowing he's right there with like Jared Kanier being booked against Roman Delize, things like that? Yeah, I think um, either way they go, it, it's a win-win for the division for uh, for Izzy. And I think that was part of the reason he was so noncommittal is because he knew that he had this legal issue coming down the pipeline and didn't know what the blowback was going to look like from the promotion and publicly. But if they do the Strickland rematch, it works out perfectly well. If they do run Strickland and Drakus, Izzy has history with both men, no matter who wins. So I think we're Izzy's in a win-win spot. Um, I think his next fight will be for the title. It just depends on who's it going to be against. And if the USC does want to keep Strickland active, if Strickland does want to go out there and fight Drakus, run it. Because like I said, Izzy's going to be there waiting for the for whoever wins that fight. And I think that's going to be the the next fight if if they don't do the Strickland rematch right away. 
Um, but either way, I think it's in a good spot. The division's in a good spot right now, at least for the top, in terms of interesting title fights over the next two or three. So I'm with it either way. You know, the promotion and, and Strickland and Izzy and Drickus want to go. However you want to shake it up, I'm cool with it. It all makes sense to me. Good stuff, guys. All right, transition to the final topic here. We're on semi-short time here, so let's try to get through it somewhat quick. But uh, Francis Ngannou accused Tyson Fury of cheating in his previous boxing fights by manipulating the gloves. He said this in an interview on Joe Rogan's podcast, which was a fantastic interview. I thought uh, Joe Rogan did a really good job of asking you know, legitimate questions, letting uh, Francis Ngannou tell his story and do all that stuff. So if you haven't seen that, definitely worth checking out in my opinion but uh danny i just want to go to you first you know i know you follow boxing pretty closely as well i know tyson fury's history and things that have been thrown his way is this accusation by francis fair or foul he kind of said in boxing you need to pay attention to every little thing man even if it's just a whisper you need to look into it so is him saying this expressing this fair foul or should he have kind of kept it to himself and if his team wanted to take steps they should have done that in the shadows of it I think it's fair, man. It makes things uh, more interesting. It certainly adds to the rivalry because no longer is he talking about skills and I'm going to knock you out and you're not a real fighter. Like this is boxing, a limited. Now he's actually questioning his entire career. Like you're winning because of uh, of cheating. You're winning because you're, you're 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 messing with the gloves and you're getting an advantage over your opponents. Um, we don't have any proof, so it's all accusations, obviously. But it is not impossible. It has happened in boxing before with. Um, many other fighters, uh, probably most notably with Margarito, who didn't exactly mess with the gloves, but was putting some sort of a concrete type powder that with water and sweat, uh, would eventually turn and harden. And then he would, uh, have a, a harder punch. Um, we've seen in boxing, boxing is a very, very, it can be a very, very dirty sport. And a lot of that is because it's far less controlled because it doesn't have this one giant promotion like the UFC, where it makes everything standard. And in this, uh, there's a lot more things that you can do around with ring size, gloves, et cetera. And there's a lot of manipulations that you can do to the actual th- uh, fight itself. So um, if I were if I were Francis Ngannou, I would certainly keep an eye if you think that's true. If guys like Tyson, like um, Deontay Wilder and Derek Chisora are telling you that this has happened. So I don't know. Just, just keep an eye. Again, accusations, there's no proof. But certainly keep an eye, man. There's a lot of things that go on in the boxing world that we do not see in MMA. Matt, your thoughts? I know you uh, kind of watched this interview alongside me and we were going through it as it was happening just after it dropped and you wrote this story. So your thoughts? I think it's spicy. It's a spicy accusation and I like it um, <laughs> because there is there's some valid valid points there when you consider things that other fighters that have fought against uh, Tyson Fury have said in the past. So it's an interesting thing. Um, some people are going to say it's just Francis getting excuses out of the way before the loss, you know, whatever, whatever. But I, I do think it's one of those things that it could get under the skin of Tyson a little bit. It's going to be something that's going to be more talk in the lead up in the final, you know, press conferences before the fight and what, what have you. Um, it's an interesting angle to attack, but uh, Francis, I think is still going to go out there and try to do his absolute best to win the fight. But, you know, like you said, he, he would fight him in bare knuckle if, if that was, that were the rules. So I'm with it either way. And just Nolan, to close it out with you, I think those two guys addressed it well, but we're a little over a month away from this fight. Uh, Fury and Ganu, what's your hype level? Is this being promoted well? Uh, you know, I just remember Mayweather McGregor, which I guess is like the closest thing. And it was just insane every week leading up. There was a new thing, et cetera, et cetera. Different personalities here, but I don't know. What do you think? You're a month out. Are they doing a good job building this? I think it's pretty low, to be honest with you. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a fault of anybody involved. I think it's just, I think everybody rooted for Francis to get that bag, to get the Fury fight, to have a crossover. But I, at least for me, I never necessarily thought it would be an absolute like box office attraction, mega fight sort of thing. Maybe we'll, when we get a little bit closer, like Diaz Paul recently, we saw that kind of pick up during fight week. Maybe we'll have a similar thing here. But to be honest with you, I think the uh, the excitement level, even from from our bubble of MMA fans, um, it's, it's acknowledged. Everybody knows it's going to happen, but I don't think anybody's necessarily overly buzzed to watch it yet. Yeah, we'll see. There's still time to come. Uh, Well, that pretty much does it for here, guys. Uh, If you are watching this, 
Dana White Contender Series 64 official weigh-ins are starting right now on the same YouTube channel. Just go back to the homepage. You'll see the other stream there and can watch that. And uh, before we go, just wanted to say shout out to everyone at the MMA Junkie team. We just finished up 17 straight weeks of UFC events. There is, you know, Bellator, Dana White Contender Series, some PFL, everything in there. Uh, We're all exhausted. A week off is much appreciated, (laughs) but we're here. We do this for you guys every week, uh, bringing you the best content from around the globe. I think we'd be on site at you know 90 of those shows so hope you guys are enjoying it hope you're enjoying this show spinning back click uh the next few weeks we'll stick at this 11 a.m start time but once dana white contender series wraps up for the season we'll be back to noon eastern time as usual so uh keep following we'll be back here next week to talk about everything that's happened in this past week and more and i hope everyone has a great day and thank you so much for watching